Hi, I'm Kim Vu. Welcome to Vietnola, the show about being Vietnamese in New Orleans. Vietnola is our window into our Vietnamese community in New Orleans and a bridge to Vietnam. We're a member of the family of shows on the podcast network, itsneworleans.com. Xin chào quý vị. Đây là bài Vietnola, chương trình pháp hành về cộng đồng Việt Nam ở New Orleans. Vietnola là một cánh cửa để nhìn vào cộng đồng ở New Orleans và một cảnh nối với quê hương. Vietnola là một số trình diễn trong chương trình pháp hành podcast itsneworleans.com. Today on the show, we'll have a conversation with our guest, Oyen Vu. Wen is a senior graphic designer in LA for a high-end jewelry trade show company actually based out of New York City. Probably few in her professional world would be able to guess that Wynne is a recovering metalhead, born and raised in New Orleans, with, and with her ex-boyfriend wrote and composed music for Deserto, a Houston-based band categorized as quote-unquote classical, metal, and experimental in Reverb Nation. Through Deserto, Wynne was able to tour the country playing and writing music for years, all the while regularly returning to New Orleans during holidays to play classical piano and church music in the West Bank of New Orleans. Today, Wynne has come on the show to share her tales of being a Vietnamese-American metalhead. Thank you so much, Wynne, for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. First off, am I pronouncing the name of the band correctly? Yeah, it's Deserto, or if you really want to be a snob, you can say Decerto. <laughs> and what does that mean? Where does that um, come from? It's uh, Latin, and it means fight to the death. Okay. <laughs> well, that is a real <laughs> easygoing band name, huh? <laughs> let's let's start with your musical background. Classical <laughs> piano, true or false? Yes, yeah, true. And let's just clarify, um, both of us played classical piano but we are not related despite our same last name. No. <laughs> so you two. You were... never know. My, my dad might have had a, a little escapade one night. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is, this is very true. Uh, and they would never admit it because they're Vietnamese. But exactly. um, classical piano, playing in the church. T- yeah. Take us from there to playing heavy metal. Okay. So, um I was playing for the church for a while, and this was only because I was kind of a wayward child, and uh, my godparents and my parents pulled me to the side, and they said, look, um, we're either going to put you to use for your God-given talents, or you're going to end up, you know, um, on the street somewhere. So they started keeping me busy with weddings, funerals, masses. Um, I would play concerto. Because idle hands. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And then I went and joined the metal band. <laughs> <laughs> so it it didn't work. Their scheme did not it work. It worked in a different way, you mm-hmm. know. Um, I got into metal because I was dating my boyfriend from Versailles at that time. How old were you at the time? I was 18. Did you grow up in the east or the west here? No, I was uh, actually from Woodlawn in Algiers. Okay. And I moved to the West Bank when I was about four or five and, um, you know, started going to the Morale Church out there. Mm-hmm. 
So when I was 18, I met this young man and he introduced me to Metallica and I thought, oh my God, what is this? This is amazing. It like rocks my socks off. And remember then you were kind of like a strictly like a Beethoven Bach girl or? Not necessarily. I was really into, you know, boys to men, new edition, as yet. I was into Tupac. Mm -hmm. I could recite all the hit em up lyrics. I love it though. You're aging yourself. We're in the same generation. I like this. Absolutely. You know, nothing beats 90s (laughs) R&B. And, um, you know, maybe one day I'll tell my kids, you know, this is how you were conceived. (laughs) (laughs) Which is um, awesome. So you you have children at this point? No. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So continue. You were listening to contemporary 1990s music, playing classical music got introduced to heavy metal who who were the first bands um well metallica was the first one mm-hmm. and then i got into megadeth and then i started doing more of the new stuff like corn uh deftones tool slipknot and then from there i kind of made my way back into old school metal like getting into testament and dio and you know um all the heavier guys you started this conversation out by saying you were a wayward child and then you played classical music and ended up to metal. So can you connect the dots? I mean, I don't mean to make you feel like you're sharing too much personal information, but I think it's also really interesting for the audience and for myself to talk about what that meant. Like why wayward? Did it have to do with New Orleans? Did it have to do with just being a teenager? What about metal seemed to answer a lot of questions for you? I think uh, it was a combination of where I grew up and how our culture is. Because, um, you know, everyone was telling me, you're going to grow up and you're going to be a doctor. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. And I felt like, okay, all my life everyone keeps telling me what to do and how to live my life. And I get that. You know, I was a kid, so I didn't know anything. But... I was, you know, rebellious, and I felt misunderstood because uh, at that time when I was going to these schools, the kids were like, well, if you don't like this or that, then you're a weirdo, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was trying to look for a place to fit in, and I never really quite fit in. But luckily, I had a lot of great friends in high school that, you know, are still friends, are still my friends to this day. And um, when I was playing classical and doing the church music, everyone was kind of like, oh, she's, you know, the good girl because she's always playing for mass and she's busy. She doesn't go out on dates or have boyfriends or do bad things like that. (laughs) But they just didn't know at that time, you know. Um, Prior to that, my mom said, you know, my mom got really sick and my godparent pulled me to the side and he said, you know, you really need to get your act together because your mom's really sick and she might not be around and for some reason, that just really shook my world. It really just changed my perspective on everything. And I realized that, you know what? Um, it's okay if I grew up poor. It's okay if I didn't dress well or if I didn't get asked out on a lot of dates because I just had this faith that um, there was something bigger out there for me. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, I just packed all my things and I left. I went to Houston and joined a metal band and the rest is history. <laughs> Simple as that. Uh, You went to Houston. Do you have siblings? 
Uh, just one older brother. Mm -hmm. And did he end up staying in New Orleans closer to your family? Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. Yes or no? Sorry. Yes. Yes, he did. Okay. So the pressure's a little less to stay, you know, within walk, let further than walking distance from your family's house. But you picked Houston, still pretty close to New Orleans. And you joined the metal band. How did you pick the metal band? Did the metal band pick you? Um, it was really funny. I went onto Craigslist, and I was telling my then boyfriend, I said, "Hey, you know what? I, I think I want to join a metal band." And he looked at me like, "Are you crazy?" <laughs> now, was he Vietnamese at the time? Vietnamese American? Yes. yes. Okay. And um, I said, "Yeah, you know, I I really want to challenge myself and do something different." And so I went on Craigslist and I saw this post from this metal band that was looking for a keyboardist. But at that time, the band was a rap rock group. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you can imagine it was a really it was really hard for me to to fit into it first because I was like, okay, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> and, and, um, but you wait, you joined with aspirations of lobbying them to go metal, or or you? Just... I think. I just wanted to see where it would take me. I was like, okay, even if I, I'm not really feeling this music, maybe I'll meet other musicians or, you know, um, meet other bands that have, that compose more of my style. So when I went to the practice to, to audition, it was really funny because one of the guys there, he tried to intimidate me. He says, you know, we're really, really heavy. And mm -hmm. I said, okay, yes. And he goes, well, I'm just saying, a lot of people can't handle that. And I said, well, there's a reason why I'm here, because I can take the heavy stuff. <laughs> so mm -hmm. so um, fast forward a year later, my boyfriend, you know, the guitarist, he joins the band, and he definitely changed our sound from rap rock to a more progressive metal, you know, melodic, classically influenced uh, metal band. And that was where I found you know, my, my role in the band because he and I had such similar backgrounds in music that it complemented each other when we wrote. And that was the beginning of Deserto. I am quoting an email you wrote me, okay? okay? Heavy metal is almost like the long lost angry stepbrother of classical with a lot of influences from the Baroque and Romantic period. Yes. <laughs> I am, you know, familiar with, I think, both music, classical and heavy metal. Definitely classical more than heavy metal, but <laughs> share with me your vision. Okay. So when I was studying classical music, I was a huge fan of Chopin. And um, my teacher, she's like, why do you like to play Chopin? I said, because he's dark and depressing. <laughs> <laughs> It just feels which is more, true, which is true, actually. You know, he was a revolutionary. So I really felt, um, I felt his passion. I really felt with his music. So when I got into metal and I started listening to these bands, like even old school Metallica, when they had Cliff Burton, you know, he wrote a lot of classically influenced riffs and listening to bands like The Human Abstract, Between the Buried and Me, they use arpeggios, chromatics, you know, all these chord True. structures that you find a lot in classical music. Mm -hmm. So it, I, I try to prove to everyone, like, I'm serious, I'm not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just hidden by all the distortion and the noise, you know, so it's a little harder to 
to pick out. <laughs> did you end up studying school in college or did you, I mean, did you take, you know, you're familiar with theory, obviously. Yes. Um, I didn't do it in college, but mm -hmm. when I was in high school, I did spend a lot of time at Loyola for their piano rallies where mm -hmm. they would test us on technique, theory, sight reading, performance. And um, every year I would fail in theory. So my teacher made me <laughs> study it a lot harder. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, it was never my favorite topic either. It's, huh? it's kind of boring. You oh, know? It's completely boring. <laughs> um, so you, did you go to Houston when you were 18? Did you go for school or you just wanted to get away from, from home? Or Yes, I went for school. Um, well, originally I was at LSU first and then I transferred to University of Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, to get into the graphic communications program over there. Okay. Ultimately, you, but you did, you were in this band almost full time, it sounds like, when you were in it. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, for pretty much the whole time I was in college, <laughs> I went to school, you know, I took 18 hours, and then I worked a job at a hair salon about 30 hours a week, and, um, some nights after work or after school, I would drive to Corpus Christi or San Antonio and play a show with the band, drive back to Houston, go to school, <laughs> do my homework till six in the morning, go to class at 830. You know, it was it was really insane, but it was a great time. And you went on the road, it sounds like, for a period of time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, but only for only for two years. And then the rest of the years, <laughs> mostly studio and Hey, most bands break up after one year, so that's <laughs> true. Let's take a minute to hear a segment of your music. I I chose Always Ashes, which is on y'all's Reverb Nation page. So let's just take a second and listen to that. <laughs> So that was called All Was Ashes, a very beautiful song. What was the process of writing that for you, composing it? Oh, I think uh, this song is actually kind of a personal one for me. Uh, first and foremost, my uh, guitarist at that time and I, we, you know, we were on the rocks and um, we knew that it was coming to the end of our relationship. So when we came into the practice studio, the one thing we were always clear about was that we kept personal out of business and um he started playing the riff and i thought wow what a really beautiful riff so i started adding to it and next thing you know the whole band is jamming for like 15 20 minutes and we had a song um and the funny thing is what you're hearing is actually an unfinished version because we were supposed to get our 
singer to come in and do the vocal tracks for it. But unfortunately, we broke up before all that was completed. So when you when you broke up, did you leave the band? Did the band dismantle? What happened to Decerto? Uh, we, we dismantled because, you know, my ex and I, we were the main composers of the band. Mm-hmm. So when things fell apart for us, the band didn't see any point in moving on because they we were kind of like the mom and the dad of the band. Mm-hmm. The mom and dad got a divorce. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, you know, we were supposed to name the album All Was Ashes and dedicate it to our bass player's mom, who had passed away. She was our number one fan, and she used to come to all our shows, and we called her mom. You know, she she was a fantastic woman. Well, that's actually a very touching, sad story. <laughs> I'm sorry. But also, <laughs> like Chopin, dark, depressing, and beautiful. So you, you've achieved your goal. With that I feel song. like I need to make a T-shirt with that. <laughs> Dark, depressing, beautiful, and all together. Give us a timeline. So you, you did the band while in school for how many years? Um, so I joined the band in February of two thousand four. Okay. And then uh, we were on the road until end of two thousand five. Okay. And 2006 was when uh, we became Deserto because before that we were a different band and different name. Okay. Well, and what was that name and band? <laughs> it's a silly name. It's it's deep above surface. Okay. Continue. So then you continued to be a band after you stopped touring, right? Yeah. We started um, because we were changing our style in music. We started focusing on our album. And uh, during those years, from 2006 until 2010, you know, we had a lot of members coming in and out of the group. And, um, you know, a lot of good times, played a lot of great shows. But the main thing was we wanted to finish our album, start pushing it out, and then touring again with, you know, a product to sell. Mm -hmm. Like a very good focus band should. Yes. Um, That's... uh... It's interesting for me, too, because as a hobby, I have a small record label I've just started. And nice. yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting to see how different groups of people make business decisions about their music, you know. Um, but it sounds like like many bands, uh, it was very heavily dependent on one or two people in the band. And yes. so you broke up and then the band finished. And how long ago was that? Uh, 2010. That was the last time. And that was in Houston? At that point, were you guys still based in Houston? No, at that time, my ex and I were in New Orleans. So we were writing in New Orleans, and I was emailing tracks to our guys in Houston. And every so often, we would drive to Houston, you know, rent out a practice studio and get together to put this music together. Mm Mm-hmm. While you were d- dedicating time to the studio, were you working or were you a full-time musician? Uh, no, I was working by then. I was doing graphic design at this uh, ad agency. Mm-hmm. How long have you been away from New Orleans? Um, well, I was gone for a long time. I came back to New Orleans when I was 28. And then I stayed there for another two years. And then I left for Los Angeles in 2011. Okay. So... I guess two years. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you feel, or, or to what extent, if any, did the musical tradition of New Orleans play a part in in your act, act, 
you know, your active engagement in music? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Um, I remember as a child, I would turn on the, you know, local radio and I could hear live New Orleans jazz and I would think, oh, what are the musicians doing in the French Quarter? You know, like, Hmm. I bet those shows are amazing. If only I was old enough to get in there and see how they perform. Like, that's all I dreamed about. And it always stayed with me. So when I came to Houston and joined a metal band, you know, no one was really surprised. <laughs> I mean, they were surprised that it was metal, but they weren't surprised that I joined a band. When you're in Houston, and, and especially when you were touring, I know Houston has a pretty strong Vietnamese community. Mm-hmm. Did you kind of maintain any ties? Do you have any family in that community? And to what extent, it sounds like being a Vietnamese American gave you a lot of frustration and music was your outlet and to what extent did that continue to play a role as you created music well when I got to Houston you know I have a lot of family there it's kind of like my second home okay I've been going to Houston since I was about six years old so I was really fortunate that my Asian friends my Vietnamese friends to be exact out in Houston were very supportive they actually came to a couple of my metal shows you know they hung out with my bandmates and had a great time so uh, going to Houston, it definitely opened a lot of more doors for me, and it allowed me to feel more comfortable about the things I wanted to do in terms of music. That's awesome, That's- and and kind of unusual because you picked a maybe a unconventional hobby, pretty serious hobby. Um, for the Vietnamese American community. So actually, that's pretty encouraging to hear that you got that kind of support. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it was kind of tough because, um, you know, back home, I guess uh, someone told my grandmother that I had joined a satanic cult (laughs) (laughs) and that I was doing drugs and all this thing. So my grandma calls my mom and she's like, oh, my God, is it true? You know? And they're like, she's she's joined the devil's team, you know. And it's funny. It was like, no, we the, our music is about social issues, you know, and inter mm-hmm. and and dealing with internal struggles. It does not promote satanic you know, worship. You know, we're not talking about burning babies or anything like that. So, oh, I have a little on-air confession. You know, I too listened to punk. Huge fan of punk in my college years. I love you already. And um and hip hop because I I went to school in the Bay Area so nice. I never even tried to explain to my family what that was all about so you are much <laughs> braver than me. Well, the great thing was we had a show in New Orleans and my parents were like, "Oh, we're gonna meet your band." I said, "Yeah, they're a little scary looking, you know, eyeliner, tattoos, dreadlocks, but they're really nice people." <laughs> so my band comes to my parents' house. My dad's like, have some Heineken. Of course, he's so Vietnamese, you know? Right, right. (laughs) And my mom cooks a pot of gumbo, and they're, like, welcoming my band. And my dad has a jam session with my bandmates, and they had a great time. (laughs) Yeah, you mentioned your dad played classic rock. Yeah, he. that's how I grew up, you know, like listening to Led Zeppelin, CCR, Black Sabbath. You know, my, my dad was a little rocker. But it doesn't sound like they were all that Americanized or as much. No, nice. not always. They were super strict, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. my mom, she, she she's five feet, but she's really scary. Oh, my <laughs> mom is the same. Possibly. Everyone thinks she's so, quote unquote, cute. And I have to explain, she's actually the scariest human being I've ever met in my life. 
it's true. <laughs> <laughs> and the ethnic makeup of your band. I noticed from the pictures you are the only Asian in the band. Yes. So we had, um, well, the earlier years we had two black guys, a Puerto Rican, two white guys, and an Asian girl. <laughs> so they used to joke with us, oh my God, the UN is playing metal. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, you know, it was hard because I was a Asian female coming into a white male dominated scene. So I wasn't really getting the um, respect that I wanted. Mm-hmm. And it took me a year to really get them to respect me because once they realized that I wasn't just eye candy <laughs> and that um, I actually knew my music, that was when they stopped harassing me and leaving, you know, disgusting comments on our guest book. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Especially at music shows, it seems that no one, everyone decides their mouth does not need to be edited from what oh, I gather. You know, I, I love the metal scene, but boy, we have some pretty uh, misogynistic <laughs> interesting characters there. <laughs> I want to hear more about your relationship to the Vietnamese community in New Orleans that it sounds like continues today. But first, I'd like to go to our segment, The Etiquette, where we explore the quirks and charms of culture and etiquette, both here in Vietnamese New Orleans and Vietnam. I asked you to share one thing that you thought would fit with this segment, and you talked about uh, the choice of profession. So if you want to go into that with our listeners, that'd be great. Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of my friends who are very successful, graduated and moved on to do all the good stuff, <laughs> they would often tell me, you know, I, I, I'm not really happy with my job. I only did this because my parents told me, you know, this is what I needed to do, like being a pharmacist, being a lawyer or an engineer, and ask them, well, what is it that you want to do? And, you know, you'd be surprised at what kind of answers they come up with. Like one of my friends said, well, I want to be a chef, but my parents don't think it's a respectable career. Mm-hmm. Another one said, I want to, you know, run my own bakery. I just want to bake. And someone else said, I want to design computer games. I want to do, you know, graphics for videos and all this stuff. I said, well, that sounds fantastic. And they, all of them have the same answer. It's, well, my parents think this and that, you know. Mm -hmm. So growing up, I definitely struggled with that as well because my parents and everyone in the family pretty much said, you're going to go to Tulane and you're going to be a doctor. <laughs> yeah. And I said, well, I don't want to be a doctor, but if I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to be a forensic scientist and dig around dead bodies. <laughs> dead, dead bodies are cool. <laughs> I'm like, take that. So it's I totally metal. <laughs> so um, when I decided to go into graphic design and play music, uh, Everyone in my family said, what are you doing? You're not going to make money. You're going to starve and you're going to, you know, eat ramen noodles for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And I said, apparently, you guys have never met art directors or creative directors. You know, <laughs> right, right, right. Have you heard of Hollywood, work? right? Have you not watched Bad Men? Do you see those guys <laughs> in their suits? You know? <laughs> and, um, so it was really hard to get them to understand that this was what I wanted to do. And, and you know, it took them a while. And... Of course, my grandmother was like, well, so what is uh, graphic design? <laughs> Your intonation was so perfect. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Lazy. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I said, okay, ma- grandma, you see that Coke can you're holding? Someone designed that. 
you know, or this package or the stop sign or, you know, anything and everything around you. It's been designed by a graphic designer. And they're not, they're not in a homeless shelter. No. Yeah. And, and they stared at me like, what? So you just draw on the computer all day? I said, yes. <laughs> I just draw on the computer all day. And they said, well, are, how are you taking care of yourself? Do you, are you making any money? And I said, no, absolutely not. I am living in a roach-infested <laughs> apartment and I am eating, you know, crust Ramen noodles. Ramen noodles. <laughs> but my parents know that I'm doing well and I'm, you know, very happy. And, and I just wish that a lot of the Asian parents out there would, you know, be a little more open and let their kids explore what they really want to do. Instead of putting that pressure on them. And, and you know, another thing, too, is that I think they equate money to success. Right. You know, uh, you and I know this. Yes, yes. So I, had to, I had to explain to a Caucasian friend that my parents, because I, I am a lawyer, but I don't practice anymore. Mm-hmm. And I had to explain to him that, well, my parents told me when I was young, up until I was 18, that if I didn't go to graduate school, or not even graduate school, professional school, you know, law school or med school, that the only job I could get was as a janitor. <laughs> That's very extreme. They told me that for a very long time. Uh, I think my parents told me I would go into the circus. but <laughs> <laughs> They would have to sell you to the circus. <laughs> At least I would be very entertaining. <laughs> But, you know, truth be told, I have looked up, you know, did a simple Google search on your name and your band and actually your 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 artistic career has popped up. Um, Talk to us what you do now. I mean, what does this not so secret metalhead do for a living right now? (laughs) So um, these days I'm working for a jewelry trade show company that's based in New York and uh, I travel about eight, nine times a year between Las Vegas and New York City. And um, basically, we're like party planners. You know, we connect exhibitors with uh, retailers, finding the latest trends in jewelry, you know, letting them know, okay, this is what's hot for this year. This is what you need to pick up for your store. And uh, we promote brands that you're not going to find anywhere else. But we also do have household brands like Mikimoto, David Yurman, you know, um, million dollar companies that are exhibiting at our show huge high-end new york city you know uptown kind of brands and labels correct yes stuff that costs more than my life insurance (laughs) (laughs) you win because i don't have life insurance so you are so much more vietnamese than me Uh, Do you see any future for yourself in music? You mentioned possibly doing music therapy for children at some point. Yes, definitely. And um, a lot of it is influenced by my godmother, who is the conductor for the the church in Morero. She and her husband, they, you know, teach a lot of kids music. And, you know, they are one of the reasons that kept me off the streets. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to follow her footsteps. You know, I think what they're doing is an amazing thing. And ideally, I'd love to go back to New Orleans or, you know, wherever God wants to put me mm-hmm. and work with at-risk youth, provide them music therapy, you know, or art therapy. I think it's a really uh, important outlet for them. Do you ultimately consider yourself a New Orleanian who's just going to come home? 
Oh, it doesn't matter where I am. I'm always going to be a New Orleanian. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true New Orleanian. <laughs> Nobody told you, Kim. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm not from here, so we'll, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. I'm here to stay for quite a while, but uh, yeah, and I fake it. You know, I'm like, yeah, I'm Vietnamese, and I just let people assume I'm from New Orleans East. So <laughs> I let people pigeonhole me into being a lifer here. <laughs> Do you want to do you want to share with the audience uh, where they can listen to more of the band of Decerto on MySpace or Instagram or anything like that? Yes, um, you know, I mean, it's all old stuff, but you can check us out at myspace.com/decerto. And uh, these days, I'm not doing as much music, but I am trying to push my art. So you can find me on Instagram at agentxblue. Great. Thanks so much, Wynn, for coming on the show. That was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time as well. Awesome. That's Vietnam for today. Thank you so much for joining us at home, at work, on your phone, wherever you are, and whatever you're doing. And a very special thanks to today's guest, Wynn Vu. Our show is produced by Kim Vu and Grant Morris. Our technical director is Chris Keo. Our web guru is Dr. Cliff Brigden. Our theme song was composed by Taylor Smith and performed by the Swamp Lilies. The fabulous audio quality of this show is brought to you in part by PreSonus Audio Electronics. PreSonus makes some of the best audio recording and live sound products, including Studio One music production software, Studio Live digital mixing consoles, Airs Studio monitors, and much more. Visit www.presonus.com for more information. You can follow us on Twitter at itsneworleans.com. You can like us on Facebook. We're at It's New Orleans. And you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. You can listen to our other Vietnola shows on our website, itsneworleans.com, as well as our other shows, Happy Hour, Out to Lunch, Mindset, True the Game, Midnight, and Midnight Menu Plus One. Keep up with all kinds of fun happenings here at Vietnola by getting on our web mailing list. Sign up on our website, itsneworleans.com. Vietnola was recorded today in the lovely city of New Orleans. If you'd like to be a guest on Vietnola, we'd love to have you. Drop us a line. You'll find all the information on our website. Vietnola is produced by INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com. For everyone here at Vietnola, thanks for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you back here next week for our next episode of Vietnola. Until then, I'm Kim Vu. Bye now. Johnny got a toy golf set when he was three, and from that day on, he was hooked. All he wanted to do was golf, golf, golf. He'd be on the links before school, after school. All he ever wanted was to go pro. And then, one day... When he was holding his grandson and thinking about his 12 handicap, Johnny realized it just might not happen for him. But you know what did happen for him? He switched to Geico and saved a bunch of money on car insurance. So that was good, and so was hanging out with his grandson.